The books of 1 and 2 Samuel give us a lot more details into the life, but 1 and 2 Chronicles give us mostly the headline story. So, so in this, what we found is we found this place where David is given Solomon, um, his son, who was born of Bathsheba. We talked a couple of weeks ago how David sinned and committed adultery with Bathsheba. This is the second born son um, out of that union. And so this guy's name is Solomon. And David is giving Solomon some final instructions. David's old. He's about to pass away. And here's the thing. David's whole life, he wanted to do something special for God. He wanted to build God a temple. There's a verse in, in Samuel where David says, I live in a palace but my God lives in a tent, this is not right. See, back in the day, the, the church, uh, the place of God's presence was literally a tent. It was called the tabernacle. It was a tent set up with skins and, and, and cloth. And David had a nice house built out of wood and stone. And so David said, I want God to have something nice like I have, so I'm going to build him a temple. The problem is, God said, David, you, your hands have shed too much blood. You've done too much stuff. And, and I appreciate your heart and I appreciate what you're trying to do, but you're not the man to build the temple. And so David wasn't allowed to fulfill the dream that he had. So instead, he passed his dream on to his son, Solomon. And so today's message is called David's Legacy. We've talked about David the giant killer, and we've talked about David the worshiper, and we've talked about David the sinner. But today's message is called David's Legacy, and this is going to be the last message in the series. And, and legacy is something that I think about a lot. I think about the legacy that I'm leaving to my kids. I think about what it is that I'm depositing in them in the next generation. A legacy is anything that's handed down from an ancestor to a predecessor. And, and here's the thing. David understood that, that he couldn't build the temple, so he wanted to leave a legacy for his son. He wanted to pass something down. And so this passage is actually called David's Instructions to Solomon. And, and so we're going to read through three verses. That's all we're going to do today is three verses. And, and I told the worship team before, I said, I'm going to amaze you how long I can preach with three verses. Um, and, and so they said, you won't amaze us. We know how long you can preach. So let's look at 1 Chronicles chapter 28, verses 9 through 11. And, and then we're going to just kind of expound on these as we go. So, so I'm going to read the whole, the whole little passage there because it's short. And Solomon, my son, learn to know the God of your ancestors intimately. Worship and serve him with your whole heart and with a willing mind. For the Lord sees every heart and knows every plan and thought. If you seek him, you will find him. But if you forsake him, he will reject you forever. Verse 10. So take this seriously. The Lord has chosen you to build a temple as his sanctuary. Be strong and do the work. Then David gave Solomon the plans for the temple and its surroundings, including the entry room, the storerooms, the upper stairs, uh, the upstairs rooms, the inner rooms, the inner sanctuary, which was the place of atonement. So today we're going to kind of go through this. If you don't mind, let's go through it piece by piece. Uh, it's only three verses, so we'll kind of take those verses at, at, in chunks. And let's just see what David said to Solomon and how we can apply that to our lives even today. So the first thing it says is, my son Solomon, in verse 9, learn to know the God of your ancestors intimacy, uh, intimately. I want to focus on the word learn for a second because that really stood out to me when I was reading this. It may have stood out to you whenever you heard me read it to you. Learn. It, it says this, learn to know the God of your ancestors. It doesn't say know him. It says learn to know him. In other words, to get to know God intimately, to get to know God intimately is a process that we have to grow through. It's a process that we have to develop. Listen, when, when I first uh, met my wife, I did not know her 
intimately. Now, don't start thinking weird here. I'm talking about to know things about her, to know what she likes and dislikes, to know her will, her desires, her emotions, to understand some things about her. I didn't know that when we started dating. I didn't know it whenever we got engaged and I put a ring on her finger. It didn't magically make me know her intimately. I didn't know it at the wedding ceremony. It didn't, it didn't um, somehow transfer information to my brain. It, it took years, even after the first couple of years of marriage. We had been married uh, a number of years before I really, truly felt like I understood some things about my wife. And listen, if you're a guy in the room today, I just want you to know, we never really know everything about them. Okay. They are a species of their own. And, and when we die and go to heaven, God will explain all the things that we missed. But I never really truly understood. There was a lot of stuff that I just didn't get about her. And, and, um, and it, took, it took a process of me learning. Now listen, here's the other thing that's important. In order to learn something, you have to apply yourself to knowledge. You have to apply yourself to seek it out. I had to apply myself to know her, to, to understand her, to, to learn about the, the things that she loves and the things that she hates. I've told you the story before about, about the time we were in the, in the vehicle and we were driving and she almost had a wreck. And I said, Perry, watch out. And I was scared because I thought I was going to die. My life flashed before my eyes. And, and she got mad and started crying. And I said, what? Are you scared because you, you know, almost killed us? She was like, no, you screamed at me. I was like, I was pleading for my life. Like, there was a, a good cause, but apparently in her life, she did not like people yelling at her. And I learned that lesson very quickly, that she doesn't like people yelling at her. And so, so there was, over time, I began to learn things about my wife, but I had to apply myself to that. When it comes to understanding God, when it comes to knowing God intimately... We have to apply ourselves to that. Coming to church does not give us an intimate knowledge of God through osmosis. I am not your, your pathway to, to a relationship with Jesus Christ. I'm here to help you. I'm here to, 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 to maybe point some ways out. But I'm on this journey with you to know him intimately. And I'm not the source. You and he have the relationship, not you, me, and he, right? And so it's a, it's a matter of you and I learning to know him intimately. And what does it mean to know someone intimately? It's not just knowing someone's information. Anybody can know information. Anybody can Google something. Anybody can look something up on somebody. Anybody can read the scriptures. It's about knowing that person's heart. When I know someone intimately, I know their heart. I know things about them without them telling me. I know there are certain things I can do for my wife without her telling me to do them. I know that I can go ahead and do those things because I know her heart. I know what she desires. I know what she likes. Because for years I've learned this. When my wife goes, uh, you know, my wife likes a, a bathrobe. She, she loves bathrobes. I don't know why my wife likes bathrobes. So I know to always, like, I need to have that bathrobe in the bathroom. If I have the bathrobe in the bathroom hanging up in the shower, she's going to be a happy woman. My woman likes, uh, I said my woman. My wife likes, you know, my woman over here. My, my woman likes her, her um, coffee iced. And so I know in the mornings before she gets ready for work, um, I go and I turn on the coffee maker. And I go ahead and get the, the iced coffee made. And I have it ready for her whenever she comes out and she's getting ready to go to work. She's got a, a cup of iced coffee ready for her. 
Like there's certain things that I know about Perry, and I know you may think, well, iced coffee, that's kind of silly. Listen, I don't do much around the house, so if I can get one thing right, that's what I try to do. But I know there's certain things that Perry likes, and so I try to have that stuff prepared. Why? Because I know her intimately. I know things about her that, that nobody else knows. And, and so whenever I know that, then I don't need to ask her if she wants the iced coffee in the morning. I just go ahead and do it. When we know God intimately, there are some things we don't need to ask him. Now, you may say, well, Gabriel, what are you saying? You're saying I don't have to pray. I don't have to read my Bible. No, I'm not saying that. We still need to pray. We still need to read our Bible. But listen, if there's a question of whether or not something is right or wrong for you, if you know him intimately, then you'll know whether it's wrong for you or it's right for you because you know his heart, you know his will, you know his desires. And I know there's some things in my life that I don't even have to... I don't even have to ask him. I know, I know I shouldn't do it, let's say. Because I know his heart. And I know that, that whatever this path is that I'm going down is not going to lead me in the direction that God wants me to go. And so when I know him intimately, I know his heart. I know his will. I know his desires. And, and so it helps me to know how to serve him, how to love him, how to worship him. And that's the next thing that the Bible says. It says, um, it says my son Solomon, learn to know the God of your ancestors intimately. And then it says, worship and serve him with your whole heart and a willing mind. So how do we get to know him intimately? We know him intimately by worshiping him and serving him with a whole heart and a willing mind. I want to talk about these words for just a second. So, so worship, what does it mean to worship? Last week we had a whole message on praise and, and all the Hebrew words for praise. And what do those mean? And they were very um, demonstrative words, raising your hands, kneeling down, jumping up and down, playing instruments, all the cool things that the Bible says about our praise. And, and today I want, to, I want to kind of break it down a little bit more and talk about this because I don't think worship and praise can, can fully be defined by what we do on a Sunday morning in church, right? Like, like there's more to it than that. It's more than just fast songs and slow songs. That's how most of us grew up thinking that, that praise was the fast songs you sing at the beginning of church and, 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 and worship was the slow songs that you sang before the preacher got up. It's not, that's not how it is. The Bible doesn't say anything about the speed of the music, right? But here's what the Bible does talk about. It talks about worship. And, 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 and I want you to think about the difference in these two words for just a second. Worship and praise. If, if I were to go out right now and um, let's say I was, I was uh, outside in the foyer and, and, and Perry was still in here. And I met some of you guys out in the foyer. And, and while I was out in the foyer, I was talking. And I was just telling you all the good things I know about my wife. I'm getting some brownie points today, just FYI. And so I'm telling you all the good things. I mean, I tell you about how my wife has gotten multiple Teacher of the Year awards at, at different schools and how, how my wife has all these um, medals hanging up in, in the closet from all the pickleball tournaments she's been in. And, and I, I could tell you um, of all the talent and, and the education that she's got. And I just began to tell. And then whenever you came and found Perry, see, I'm giving you a hint. If you hear me talking good about her, you need to come find her. And, and you came and found Perry, and you talked to Perry, and you'd say, man, that Gabriel, he was really singing your praises. What was I doing? I was praising my wife. Was I praising to her? No. I was telling you about the great things my wife has done. I'm making you feel good the way I feel about my wife by telling you all the great things she's done. So whenever I'm praising God, I am telling people about all the great things he has done. Now, if you'll pay attention to the words of the songs that we sing on a Sunday morning, you'll notice that some of the songs we sing, we are not necessarily singing them to God. We are singing about God. Those are praises. Fast, slow, doesn't matter. Those are praises. And so, so listen, it's not just about singing. I can praise God when I go out on the streets and I'm just talking to someone at the gas station and I'm telling that person all the great things God has done for me. That is praising God. Right? 
But then there's this place of worship that's a little bit different. The last song we just sang, the last song we just sang, notice the subject, who we were singing to in the last song we sang. We were singing to God, not just about God. We were singing to God. This is where we enter from praise and we step into a place of worship. See, there's a place of worship that's more intimate than praise. When I praise someone, when I'm praising my wife, it's not a place of intimacy, it's a place of public. I'm out there, I'm talking about her. But whenever I enter into a place of worship, that's whenever I'm talking to her. This may be a place in our home. This may be a, a, a place away from everyone else. This may be a place on a, on a vacation or on a date when I begin to tell my wife all the great things the way I feel about her. How beautiful she is and how, how wonderful she is to me and what a great mother she is and, and what a great wife she is. And I begin to tell her those things. You see, there's a difference between praising and worshiping. They're both valuable and they're both essential, but there's a difference in the two. And one of the things David tells Solomon here is he says, son, here, let me set you up for success. Let me leave a legacy for you. I want you to build this temple. I want you to be a successful king. I want you to rule the nation. And here's how you're going to do it. You're going to learn to know the God of your ancestors intimately. And the way you're going to learn to know him intimately is you got to worship him with a whole heart and a will mind. You got to go to him and you got to tell him how wonderful he is. You got to talk to him and you got to open up your life to him and you got to you got to give everything you've got to him. We worship him. It's intimate, it's up close and it's personal. It also says to serve him. And what does it mean to serve? Um, well, I looked that word up and I'll no, you'll notice I looked up a lot of these words in the Hebrew because I don't have a lot of words to, to really go by in three verses. So I had to look them up. But but the word serve there in the Hebrew means to work, to submit to worship. Isn't that interesting how, how there's a place where we are working and submitting. We are serving God. We are doing things. And as we do those things, that is a form of our worship. Now, we just had, I think, six new couples join the church last week. Isn't that awesome? Six brand new couples joining the church. And, and, um, and one of the things we told those couples is we said, listen, we want you to find a team to serve on here at the church. When you serve on a team here at the church, when you work in kids or you work in the nursery or you're singing up here or you're out front greeting at the door or whatever it is that you do in service, you need to understand something. You're not serving me. I'm a part of the team too. I'm, my team is called the speaking team and, and our job is to speak. And so we're all a part of different teams, but you're not serving me and you're not serving the church. When we do that, it's a form of worshiping God. Whenever I serve God by, by ministering to people, by mentoring kids, by greeting someone at the door, it's a form of my worship. And that, I think that's pretty cool. I think that's pretty cool because it gets me out of this place where I feel like I'm just serving. I'm just working. It's my job to do. No, no, no it's not a job. It's a form of my worship. And then there's two things he says. He says, you got to have a whole heart. You got to have a willing mind. Let's talk about the whole heart for a second. That word whole heart there means to have um, a loyal heart. It, it means to have a complete heart, a safe heart, a heart that is at peace. It's a heart that's not divided, a heart that's not waffling back and forth. And so, so for me to have the right heart in worship and the right heart in service means that I've got to have a heart that is whole and complete and is at peace. Now we read about this heart in Mark chapter 14, verse 36. The Bible says that Jesus is on his way to the cross. He's about to be crucified for all of our sins. And while he's on his way, he stops in a garden and he has prayer. And he begins to pray. And one of the things he prays is this. He says, Abba, Father, he cried out, everything is possible for you. Please take this cup of suffering away from me. Yet I want your will to be done, not mine. Here's what that's saying. Is he's about to enter the worst moment of his life. 
but he has this this whole heart, this heart that is at peace in God's hands. And he says, listen, I don't want to suffer. I don't want to go through this. But if it's your will, I'll do whatever you want me to do. Why? Because my heart is at peace with whatever you do. Because my heart's not divided. My heart is loyal to you. And when my heart is loyal to you, my heart is at peace no matter what the plan is. No matter what the plan is. When your heart is at peace with someone, when your heart is loyal to someone, it doesn't matter what they say the plan is, you're willing to follow. Now, I'm going to be honest with you. We should not have a heart like that for everybody, right? We should have a heart like that for God. Don't have a heart like that for me. I'm a man. I'll fail. He will never fail. And so my heart will always be loyal to God, always be loyal to God, in, to the point that it's at peace with no matter what he says. He told Abraham, go kill your son. Go kill your son. This is, this is a huge issue. Abraham goes to kill his son. Obviously, if you've read the story of Abraham and Isaac, you know that, that God did not allow him. It was a test to see how loyal his heart was, and his heart was very loyal. Throughout the scriptures, there are plenty of times when God asks people to do hard things. Why? Because their heart is loyal, and they know that God is going to carry them through at the very end. The other thing it says is have a willing mind. What, what does that mean? Willing means to take delight or take pleasure in. I thought that was an interesting thought because, because here's what he says. He says you got to worship him. And we can say worship him with a, with a whole heart. That would be really cool. And we could say serve him with a willing mind. That's a good, another good application where you can put those words together. You can, you can put them together however you want to because they, it's two and two and they, they all fit. But, but the idea of, of having a willing mind means I'm doing something out of delight or out of taking pleasure in something. In other words, I don't serve God out of obligation, ritual, or religion. I serve God out of a heart of love. I, I, I worship God not because it's a Sunday morning and Pastor Jonathan has, has songs ready. That's not why I worship him. I worship him because I love him and I'm allowed to step in with Pastor Jonathan and the team as they lead us in worship. I'm stepping in with them, but I don't do it because of them. I don't do it because it's Sunday at 10 o'clock and it starts. I do it because I have a heart for it. In John 14, 15, the Bible says, if you love me, Jesus speaking, obey my commandments. In other words, he puts obedience and love together. If you love me, you'll obey my commandments. Not if you're obligated to me. Not if you feel a sense of duty towards me. Not if, if you feel bad because I've given my life for you and you just feel bad about it. No, no, no. It's because I love him. And we, we read two weeks ago Psalm 51, the, the psalm that David wrote after he sinned with Bathsheba. And he's writing about how God would forgive him. And, and, and he's asking God for forgiveness. And one of the things he says is, is he says, you don't want a bunch of sacrifices. You don't want a ritual. What you want is my heart. That's the thing you want is my heart. And listen, God's after your heart today. He's not after your rituals. He, he doesn't want us serving because we feel obligated to serve. He doesn't want us worshiping because we feel obligated to worship. He doesn't want us reading our Bible because we just got to check off a box. He wants our heart. He wants to know us, man. He wants to know us intimately. And whenever, whenever David is telling Solomon this stuff, he's telling him, listen, you've got to have a delight and pleasure in following the Lord. We serve him from a place of love not a place of obligation. The next, the next part of that verse says this. We'll read into the next one, actually. It says, For the Lord sees every heart and knows every plan and thought. If you seek him, you will find him. Now, yesterday I was reading through this, and that part I just kind of, 
In my original notes, I kind of left that, that verse out. I was just going to kind of read through it and keep going to the next part, because the next part is something I really wanted to talk about, but, um, or the next two parts, really. So, so I kind of skipped over that in the next, in the next verse that it says, and, and I was, as I was reading it to Perry, I just wanted to get someone else's perspective, and I said, hey, I'm going to just read these three verses to you. Tell me what you think. What stands out to you? I know what stands out to me. I just want to hear what stands out to you. And so, so yesterday, we're in the car, and, and so I read these to her, and she says, well, you know what stands out to me? It stands out to me that that it says that, that um, for the Lord sees every heart and knows every plan and every thought, that God is already knowing us. If God already knows us, then why wouldn't we want to seek after him? If God already knows everything about us, he already knows the bad and the good. He knows the past, present, and future. If God already knows all of it, and we really don't have anything we can hide from him, why wouldn't we just pursue him? Why wouldn't we just seek after him? And so David says that here. David says, for the Lord sees every heart and knows every plan and thought. If you seek him, you will find him. There's this place that David tells Solomon. He says, you got to know him intimately. you got to learn to know him intimately, really. He says, you got to worship him and serve him with a whole heart and a, and a willing mind. And then he says, he knows everything anyway. So pursue him. Just go after him. It's all going to be okay. It's going to be safe. He's going to protect you and watch out for you. You pursue him because he knows it all anyway. And I love that. There's safety in that. There's safety in knowing that God knows me and wants me to pursue him. He knows my faults. He knows what I did yesterday. He knows what I thought two weeks ago. He knows what I did when I was seven years old. And still yet, he loves me and wants me to pursue him. And not only that, as he says, if you pursue me, you're going to find me. Like, I'm not going to be hard. This isn't, this isn't hide and seek. How many of y'all ever played hide and seek before? Who's played hide and seek in a church at night? Ooh, let me tell you something. There's not much scarier places than a church at night. I am always afraid of a church at night. And that's why I won't come up here for night services and be the last one to leave. When we do the upper room thing, I'm going to be the first one out the door. Because I don't like this place. It's scary at night when the lights are off. When I was a little kid, I, for real, for real, for real, for real, I, let me just sidetrack for a second. I got a couple minutes I can sidetrack. When I was a kid, we, my dad would do services at church, and he would do Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night, all the things. And me and my buddies, we, would, um, we were little guys, and so we would play at the church. And so church would be over, and sometimes we would hang out, and we'd play, and they'd start turning off the lights. We'd still hang out and play. We would play a little hide-and-seek in the church at night. But then you would always have these moments, and I don't know what kind of church you grew up in. So maybe the church you grew up in, you didn't have anything crazy happen in church. But the church I grew up in, every so often something crazy would happen. You would have that one person that would start, you know, doing some crazy stuff. And so the, the elders had to get around them, had to pray for them, right? Had to lay some hands on them real hard. And, um, and, so, and so I would be in the church, and, and that's all I could think about is I'm playing hide and seek. And I thought, man, this is a church, this is God's house, but there's a demon in here somewhere. And he's coming to get me. And I'm hiding in this baptistry. And he's going to get me. You know what I mean? Like, I would be scared at night. And so then I grew up and never got over that fear. Um, and, so, and so anyways, God is not like that. God is not hiding somewhere where you can't find him. He's easy to find. You just have to look for him. He's easy to find. But what we do is we get caught up sometimes in looking at our own problems and, and what blinds us to God. Our own problems, our, our culture, our past, our, our, you know, our identity, all the, all the things that we think are important and they begin to get in front of us and then we can't see God behind all this stuff. 
And so it takes moving people out of the way. My children are notorious at the house, especially now that they've gotten older, is they don't understand that I can't see through them. And so they'll stand right in front of the TV to do whatever it is that they want to do, and they choose the one spot in the house that I'm trying to watch TV, and they'll stand right in front of it. And I have to tell them, move out of the way, right, so I can see the football game or whatever the case is. And so this happens to us sometimes. We allow things in our life. It's not that God's hiding. It's that we've allowed so much stuff, and we need to move some things out of the way so we can see God. And then this next part is a part that I was, honestly, I thought, well, I think this is pretty self-explanatory. I don't really need to get into this, but I decided to get into it anyway. It is what it is. It says, but if you forsake him, he will reject you forever. Wow, man, everything has been so uplifting and so encouraging. Loving God and seeking him intimately and worshiping him and serving him. It's all been great. If you seek him, you will find him. And then all of a sudden, David drops this bomb on Solomon. He says, but by the way, just FYI, if you forsake him, he's going to reject you forever. And then he just moves on into something else really good information. It's like right in the middle, he throws this one little nugget of truth that, that I think sometimes we need as a little wake-up call. Have you ever had that, that person in your life that only tells you all the good things about yourself? but they never tell you about the one thing that's bad and you needed them to tell you? It's like you walk into a room and they're like, oh man, you look beautiful, you look great, you're ready for your school pictures, you're ready for this picture, your headshot to put on the website. Um, I got some real estate agents in here, you guys always have nice pictures of yourself. But, but Kevin, what if you go in one day and you smile and you got a big piece of like food stuck in your teeth and Kristen never tells you, she's like, your head is so shiny and I love your beard, but she never tells you about the big food stuck in your teeth. It's the one truth, and she says, I don't want to hurt your feelings and tell you about the food in your teeth. But listen, sometimes we need some truth that might hurt our feelings in life. And if we don't get truth in church, where else are we going to get it? So here's the truth from David. David says, if you forsake him, he'll reject you forever. What does that mean? Well, it's not good. Jesus talked more about hell than he did heaven. Jesus talked more about hell than he did heaven. And he didn't talk about hell to be scary. He didn't talk about hell to try to frighten you into heaven. He didn't talk about hell to try to, to, try to coerce you and manipulate you into serving him. He talked about hell because it's a reality. And he just wants you to know the reality. He wants you to know that there are two options for us. That we have the option of hell or we have the option of heaven. And we are the ones that get to choose. What does it mean to forsake? To forsake means this. It, it means to abandon, to leave. So what David is saying here is he's saying, listen, man, you have the choice to abandon or leave God. And if you do that, if you make that choice, there's going to come a day when you're going to be rejected and that rejection is going to last forever. What is hell? There's a lot of speculation about what hell is. The Bible talks about uh, weeping and gnashing of teeth, the place where it burns, the place where the worm never dies. Yes, all of that stuff is probably true, and I, and I don't doubt it. But honestly, the biggest and the worst part of what hell is, is total separation from God. It's total separation from God. It means that there has come a point where we have chosen to forsake him, to abandon him, to leave him. And at some point, the time ran out. And once the time runs out, then there's total separation and you can't get that back. And you may feel like God has abandoned you today. You may not feel his presence, but I promise you, the fact that you're in this room today shows me that God loves you. 
And he brought you to a place today where you can hear some truth and you can hear some encouragement. And that's showing you something. If you're watching online this morning, then, then that's, this is God's grace to you today to bring you to a place where you can watch something that, that someone's going to tell you this stuff. God hasn't abandoned you. But I'm telling you, there's a place where God is going to have to reject those that have abandoned him. And that's where none of us want to be. As a matter of fact, let me show you how loving God is. In 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 9, it says, The Lord isn't really being slow about his promise. Talking about the promise of the end times. As some people think. No, he's being patient for your sake. He doesn't want anyone to be destroyed, but wants everyone to repent. God is constantly giving us, as long as there's breath in our lungs, he is giving us opportunities to repent and turn back to him. He's giving it to us. We have to accept that. Some people say, yeah, but God is, you know, hell is such a bad... Yeah, 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 hell's bad. Hell's bad. We get it. But, but don't mistake the fact that he's giving you opportunities today. The Bible says that Adam sinned. First man, first sin. And the Bible says that God told Adam, on the day that you sin, you will surely die. Adam sins. Guess what happened? Nothing. He didn't die. He didn't die. Now, a clock got started, right? A timer turned on in, in, in the spiritual, and there was coming a day when Adam would die. But let me show you the grace of God. Not only did God not kill Adam on that day, God allowed him to live many, many years beyond that day before he died. Not only was God's grace, listen, God's grace was so big that Adam was naked, and, and the Bible says that God killed an animal and gave Adam, made clothes for Adam to put on him to cover up his shame. God's grace is here for us, and he gives us opportunity after opportunity after opportunity. Now, some of our lifespans aren't long like Adam. Some of us only live for a certain number of years, and that's, it is what it is. But I'm just telling you today, 1 Peter, uh, 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 9 says he's being patient. He doesn't want anyone to be destroyed. He wants everyone to repent. I didn't put this on the screen, but 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 10 says, But the day of the Lord is coming. There will be an end, and be ready for it. Be ready for it. All right, with all of that bad news out of the way, let's get back to the good news. The next thing Solomon says, uh, David tells Solomon is he says, so take this seriously. The Lord has chosen, to build a, chosen you to build a temple as his sanctuary. Be strong and do the work. Let's break down those words and we'll get to the very last verse and I'll shut up. All right, so let's break down those. First of all, he says, take it seriously. You have been chosen. When the God of the universe chooses you to do something, take it serious. Take it serious. Don't, don't play with it. Know that God has chosen you. There's a work for you to do. There's, there's something God has put in your heart and in your life to do. And you need to take it serious. I love that part. I love that part. Because I feel like sometimes what I do is, is, is I may not take things as seriously as I should in life. I'm kind of a happy-go-lucky person. I, I think I am anyways. I feel like I like to have fun. And so sometimes I've got to really hone in and make myself be serious about something. And, and I think it's important to see that God's got a calling on each and every one of your lives. A calling of God is not to get up and preach. This is a gift that I have, or an opportunity that I have. Some of you may say it's not that good of a gift, but it's an opportunity that I have to be able to speak, right? I've got this opportunity to use uh, this platform. But listen, that's not the calling of God. The calling of God, first and foremost, for all of us is to make disciples, 
For those of you that have kids, your calling is to make disciples of those kids. For those of you that have nieces and nephews, your calling is to make disciples of those nieces and nephews. For those of you that work jobs, your calling is to make disciples of those people underneath you. Listen, God has called us to make disciples of all nations. We are all called to spread the gospel of Jesus Christ. Let's take that serious. Let's take that serious. And and then the next thing it says is, uh, it says, be strong and do the work. The word strong there means to bind, to be obstinate, and to conquer. I love this. God has called you to something, so bind yourself to it. Be obstinate about it. Conquer that calling that God's put in front of you, that mission that he's given you. Be obstinate. I love that word obstinate there because usually obstinate is a bad thing. But in this case, David's using it as a good thing. God is using it as a good thing. I want you to be obstinate about the calling of God on your life. Don't let anything derail you. When you look at Jesus' life, Jesus had a definite calling, but Jesus was focused on the mission. He let nothing derail him. When his own family rejected him, it didn't faze him at all. He says, you know what? I got family. All these guys that are, that are with me are my family. Whenever, whenever Satan came and tempted him, and the Bible says tempted him three different times to try and draw him away from his calling, the Bible says that Jesus rejected Satan. Jesus was so focused on the cross. He was so focused on the resurrection. He was so focused on me and on you that he would let nothing stand in the way. He gets in a boat and a storm comes up trying to drown him. And what does he do? He tells the storm to shut up and he goes to the other side. He gets to the other side and the demon comes up and the demon starts yelling at him. What does he do? He casts the demon out and turns that guy into the next great evangelist. Jesus let nothing stand in his way. And I'm telling you today, be obstinate about your calling. There was a time when I thought, um, we, we've shared this story before, and, and, and I'm almost done, but there was a time when I thought uh, all of this was, was just a pipe dream. We didn't have hardly any people at our church. We had no money at our church. I was, working, I was working a full-time job outside of the church and then trying to come home and work another full-time job at the church. I was struggling. I was depressed. I was discouraged. And I told Perry, I said, I think we're going to quit, and, and we're going to shut the church down. But listen, through all of that... I understood that my calling had to be bigger than just preaching at this church. And I said, she was like, what are we going to do? And I said, we're going to get involved in another church. And we'll lead a small group and we'll love on people and we'll witness to people and we'll preach the gospel. Like, we'll still do the same stuff. We just won't do it from this pulpit. Well, at the time, there was no pulpit. At the time, it was a skate center floor, right? The idea is this. Even failure... In the plan that you thought, the dream that you thought was going was gonna to happen, even if you fail on that dream, that doesn't eliminate God's calling. So be obstinate about his calling. Be strong. Hold on to it. Bind yourself to the calling of God on your life. Let nothing stand in your way of what God wants to do. All right. Last verse. So we're going to do verse 11. And then I'm going to give you one passage out of Second Peter. And then I promise we'll be done. Verse 11 says this, Then David gave Solomon the plans for the temple and its surroundings. I'm going to stop right there because the rest of it doesn't matter to this story. David gave Solomon plans. Here's the thing I want you to know about David. This is so cool. So David wants to build a temple, can't build a temple. God says it's not your thing to do. So here's what David does. David says, okay, if I'm not allowed to build a temple, 
I'm going to get all the architects together. I'm going to draw up all the plans. And not only am I going to draw up all the plans, I'm going to call all my friends that have lumber yards, and I'm going to get all the wood. And then I'm going to call up my friends that have quarries, and I'm going to get all the stone. And I'm going to start getting some stuff set up for my son. And I'm going to start collecting some resources for my son. I'm going to start building up the treasury for my son. Because one day, he's going to want to build this temple because this is the calling of God on his life. It's my dream. He's going to fulfill it. It's my legacy. He's going to live it out. And so I'm going to prepare everything for him. All he has to do is follow the instructions. I got it all ready for him. I got it all ready for him. I, um, I personally love lasagna. It's one of my favorite meals. Be very careful for those of you that are listening right now and you say, I'm going to cook that man some lasagna. I have rejected lasagna before. <laughs> Somebody thought they were going to cook me a lasagna because they wanted to show me how much they cared. And they put big chunks of bell pepper in the middle of the lasagna, hid it in there from me, trying to make me eat green stuff. Rejected it right to their face. My mother-in-law makes some of the best lasagna, and I'm about to talk about her lasagna, makes some of the best lasagna I've ever had. She's Italian. She makes good lasagna. But one day, she tried to slip in a, a, a vegetable lasagna. It had mushrooms on top. I rejected that right off the bat. I didn't even crack it open. I just looked at it and said no. And she said, did you try my lasagna? I said, no, that's crazy. That's not lasagna. I don't know what you think that is, but don't, don't smear the name of lasagna by calling this vegetable pie lasagna. That's not what that is. Nasty stuff. In, in, in the book of Genesis, God made fruit trees. He didn't make vegetable trees. That was after the fall when vegetables were invented. Amen, amen. Meat and fruit, that's all I like. Anyways, let's get back on track so we can finish. So my mother-in-law makes really good lasagna. The thing is, my mother-in-law lives in Opelika, not in, not in Birmingham. And so, um, and so whenever she makes a lasagna, she'll typically make one for me, and she'll freeze it, and then she'll send it to me. Um, and, and whenever she sends it, not in the mail, she, she, someone will bring it to me. So she sends me the lasagna, and, and on the top of the lasagna, there's a little sticky note, and it says, you know, 350 degrees, uh, you know, for, for an hour, whatever the, whatever the instructions are. So she gives me the lasagna. She, now, now, who did all the work? She did all the work. She makes her lasagna by hand. It's not Stouffer's, right? She makes it by hand, and she does all the hard work. She does all the prep. She puts it in the container. She does every single thing except stick it in the oven for me. All I have to do is just, just follow the instructions. Turn on the oven, stick it in, pull it out, eat it, and enjoy the great lasagna. David did everything for Solomon. All he has to do is follow the instructions. That's it. And, and as I was thinking about that, I thought, you know what? God did the same thing for us. He sent Jesus to do all the hard work, to get all the prep work done. He sent Jesus to, to do everything. And all we have to do is follow the instructions. He has prepared everything we need. Some of us may say this. We, sometimes we feel like we're not worthy enough. We're not good enough. We're not, I, I don't know enough. I, I haven't been a Christian long enough. I, I've messed up too many times. Listen, the Bible says this in 2 Peter, and this is where we're going to end. It's going to be a longer passage, but I want you to just hang out with me for just a second. 2 Peter chapter 1, starting in verse 2, it says, May God give you more and more grace and peace as you grow in your knowledge of God and our Lord Jesus Christ. 
As you grow and grow in the knowledge, grow in knowing him, grow, learn to know him intimately. This is backing up to, to 1 Chronicles 28. By his divine power, verse 3, by his divine power, God has given us everything we need for living a godly life. I love that verse right there. That first sentence, God has given us everything we need. He's provided everything you need to live a godly life. You can do this. You can serve God. You may say, yeah, but I've failed so many times. I've walked away so many times. I, I, I try to serve God and I keep messing up. Listen, I promise you, I promise you today, God has provided everything you need. Everything you need is right here. We've received all of this by coming to know him, the one who called us to himself by means of his marvelous glory and excellence. You know, your ultimate calling in life, yes, I said earlier it was to make disciples, but really your ultimate calling in life, it says right here, called us to himself. Your ultimate calling is to be with him. That's your ultimate calling. More than anything else is to be with him. Now I'm going to tell you it's to be with him and bring others with you, but it's really to be with him. Be obstinate about that. Right? About being with him. And because of his glory and excellence, he has given us great and precious promises. And these promises, uh, these are the promises that enable you to share his divine nature and escape the world's corruption caused by human desires. In view of all this, make every effort to respond to God's promises. So whenever I tell you about these promises of, of seek him and you will find him, when I tell you about these promises of knowing him intimately, when I tell you about this stuff, he's saying here, he's saying make every effort, be, be obstinate again, there's that word, make every effort to respond to the promises of God. Supplement your faith. We've got a lot of, of fitness people in the room today. We've got a lot of people that work out. I've got a couple of triathletes in the room. And, 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 and listen, these guys, I, I was talking to, to Jay, Jay and Alan sit right here by each other. It's like, this is like the Iron Man section right here. They like to do, do Iron Man. I wasn't pointing at you, Jake. Them. I was talking to Jay one day, and Jay was like, yeah, you know, you got to take, you know, I got to have my extra vitamin D, and, and, and you can't have vitamin D unless you have vitamin K12, and you got to have this and that. And he's telling me all the, the, the ways things work. We, we, we supplement vitamins, we supplement things for our life to, to give us all the nutrients we need. And, and Peter is telling us here to supplement our faith. He says it's, it's, it's not that you can't get by with faith alone. He's saying you've got faith. You've got that part down. Now let's add some supplements to it. What are the supplements? With the generous provision of moral excellence. That's a good supplement. And moral excellence with knowledge. And knowledge with self-control. And self-control with patient endurance. And patient endurance with godliness. And godliness with brotherly affection. And brotherly affection with love for everyone. The more you grow like this, the more productive and useful you will be in your knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. But those who fail to develop in this way are short-sighted or blind, forgetting that they have been cleansed from their old sins. I love that passage. It talks about us growing. It talks about us knowing him more intimately. It talks about us adding. He's giving us the instructions. All we have to do is follow him. It says he's given us everything we need. Everything we need is in God's word. Everything we need is right here. All we have to do is follow it. He even tells us how to supplement. God has given everything we need to know him intimately, to worship and serve him with a whole heart and a willing mind, to seek him and not forsake him, and to be serious, be strong, and take action. Why don't you stand up with me today? We do this every single Sunday. Every single Sunday. We're going we're gonna to sing one last song, and we're going to pray.
are the two things we like to do. Sing a last song and pray. And I'm going to give you the opportunity to pray today. I don't know what you need to pray about today. Maybe it has something to do from this message. Maybe it has something to do with knowing him intimately. Maybe you're saying, Gabriel, I need to, to know him intimately. I need to really pursue my relationship. Maybe it has to do with worship and serving, and, and, and it's, a, it's a whole heart and a willing mind kind of thing. Maybe you've been stuck in this, in this mode from your past of everything is out of duty, and everything is out of ritual and religion, and you're saying, I want to get to a place where I serve God out of a heart of love, where I just love him, and I want to serve him. Maybe, maybe today it's a, it's a matter of seeking him and not forsaking him. And you say, Gabriel, I just, I, maybe I've struggled with, with really pursuing God. I've never really sought him. I came to church today, but I don't really know him. I don't really know him. And I want to go after him. I want to stop forsaking him. I want to stop turning away from him. I want to go after him with everything I've got. Or maybe it's an idea of just, I got to be serious. I need to be strong and do the work. Like God's called me to do something and I'm tired of sitting on the sidelines. I'm ready to get involved. I, I'm ready to get, get to doing what God's asked me to do. I was so encouraged. We, this, this summer, we, um, my son and I went on a missions trip. And then after the missions trip, we went, to, we went to camp. And I got to go with the teenagers to camp this summer. Um, and, and I just got to watch the teenagers. And, and I watched them you know, pursue God for, for one week. They were going after God. Every, every service, they had service every day. And... And it was so encouraging to listen to some of these teenagers come up to me afterwards. And, and um, I'm sure they told Pastor Will some, you know, more than they told me. But I had a few of them come up to me and say, just, they said, Pastor Gabriel, you know, there's some areas I feel like God's calling me to do some stuff. God's calling me to do some stuff. And, and that encouraged me so much. And I, and I just sometimes wonder how many of us, do, do we still remember those moments when God called us? What is he calling us to do? And are we sitting on the sideline watching someone else? Are we pursuing it? And some of you may say, Gabriel, I'm, I'm older now. I'm, I, I don't have the same energy I used to have. I don't have the same, the, 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 same, uh, the same gumption that I used to have to pursue God as far as the calling of God. Listen, there might be a generation under you that has the energy that you lack. So give them the instructions. Leave them the legacy. Give them the opportunity. Every church needs pillars and warriors. They need pillars that are older and stronger and can help hold everything up. They need warriors that can go out and run and do the work. So sometimes we need to, we need to start giving some of that stuff away.